Hi, everyone, and welcome to yet another guest episode on the Grace Moments podcast. Today, you're going to meet a tremendous young man who was diagnosed with a brain tumor at the tender age of two and has faced many health challenges over the years because of it. But this difficult situation he was presented with in childhood hasn't stopped him from living life to the fullest and growing closer to God through the hard circumstances he has faced. Philip Holtz joins me to discuss his crazy journey, as well as to encourage all your listeners to keep trusting God to show up in your challenges, however hard they may seem. Here now is my delightful conversation with the one and only Philip Holtz. I am so happy to have with me today my good friend, Philip Holtz. Folks, you're in for a real treat as he's going to share with you his personal story of courage, hope, and survival. Phil, welcome to the Grace Moments podcast. Thanks. I'm, I'm really excited to be here, Catherine. Before we dive into some questions, give us a brief introduction about yourself, where you're from, what you do, and then we'll explore your story in greater depth. Yeah, you got it. So um, my name's Phil. I'm from, uh, from the Toledo, Ohio area. I live in Sylvania. Uh, I've been married for uh, just over five years now with my wife, and then we have a couple dogs, and life is great. Fantastic. While most people don't meet with their biggest challenges until later on in life, yours pretty much started for you right away. At the yeah. age of two, you were diagnosed with a benign brain tumor, and the surgery to remove it went wrong and forever changed your life. Talk us through that series of events and their impact on you and your family at such a young age. Yeah, so pretty much what had happened. So there was uh, my parents had just noticed that I was born right right handed, and they had just when I was when I was two that I was just not using it as much or just um, just how it presented. And then they went in, took me into the doctor, found out I had a brain tumor, and then. Um, when they tried removing it, they had bumped something or something went wrong. And when they bumped it, they, it gave me right-sided weakness. And so then I had to learn how to use, be left-handed for everything and just how to navigate. And then that just uh, spiraled into a ton of other surgeries and then just trying to correct the, and deal with the initial, um, initial problems that were caused from that. As a child, what was life like for you? Were you aware of your disability and did it cause you any personal insecurity that you had to deal with uh, challenges most kids your age didn't have to? I mean, I definitely still had the childlike experiences. Like best friend was across the street. We'd play hide and seek. We'd play sports and all that stuff and play outside and everything. And so I definitely still had that, those experiences just every, every so many years I would have to go in and get a chronic headache and have to go in and get some brain brain surgery done. And there was never any rhyme or reason as to when or why it would happen. Or, I mean, we knew why it would happen, but never really knew when. And I mean, it never really, it didn't really have any too much, too much of an, of an impact, honestly, because I mean, I was still, a, I was still a kid. I didn't, I didn't really let it, let it change me uh, a whole lot. I mean, it really didn't, um, more of the emotional stuff, like it didn't really hit me until, until like my older years when I was in high school or things like that. But I mean, growing up, it was pretty much all, uh, for the most part, all, all the same. I just had to 
had uh, learned to do certain things different than most other people did. I know that often people who have certain limitations or difficulties have to endure some unkind treatment from others. And I'm, I'm curious, did you ever get bullied growing up for your differences? So I didn't really, um, I didn't really get it a whole lot until like a couple of times when I would ride the bus, just Hmm. kids being punks. And so, I mean, things like that, but it's like, I can count on my hand one on one hand, how many times that happened on the bus, but there was, um, yeah, there was a kid in high school who, uh, who had kind like on social media, he would put stuff and I wasn't even friends with him. So I couldn't even Mm. see it, Mm -hmm. but people had, people had told me that he put like, uh, just put like on his, on his Facebook post, tell Phil, I'm sorry, his arms never growing back and Mm. just, and just different things like that. And then just kind of mess with me throughout, Mm -hmm. throughout the year. And we would never, I would have never called him a friend. And Mm -hmm. so I knew he was just doing it just to be, just to be mean. But at the same time, it's just, uh, I mean, it sucks, but it's just, you're going to face people like that in life. And so Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's one of those things that you definitely have to push through it. And and the, the mental and the emotional scars were 10 times harder to get over than, than the physical ones personally. Like I still, it was over, over 10 years ago. And I still, every time I see the kid, that's what I think of. I think it's very interesting and I find it quite sad that people with disabilities oftentimes are at such a high risk for, you know, mistreatment, you know, by Mm. other people. And that um, oftentimes people have such a hard time looking past the, the thing that's wrong, whatever that happens to be. Right. And realizing that the person on the inside, their spirit and their intelligence and everything like that is, is often very much the same, that we're all very much the Mm -hmm. same on the inside, but that the outer aspects of things can, can so cloud our, our judgment of, of other people. 100%. And because, I mean, a lot of times people are just, I mean, it's kind of a cliche, but people are scared of differences. People just, they're, they're, they're not, when, when you're not exposed to it, you're not going to know how to, how to react to it. And just some people react in that way and just want to, want to react rudely and be like that. And there's just, there's just going to be people like that and mm-hmm. you can't, you can't help it. You can only control how you react to it. And, and uh, so that's, that's kind of how I look at it. And one of my one of my teachers has had me in a couple of times to talk to his class just about perseverance and things like that. Mm-hmm. And one of the quotes that he's, that he told me that I had never heard of before, but it's a good one. And he said, um, life is, I don't know what the percentage is of, he said, 5% is what you, what happens to you. 95% is how you react to it. And yeah. it's, a, it's a very true statement. Absolutely. In your early teens, you hit yet another major setback with your health as an extended hospital stay and multiple subsequent surgeries attempted to deal with the symptoms you're experiencing. I can't imagine what it would be like as a young person to go through something like that. Can you tell us about that and the reality of what you had to face day in and day out? 
with that one, I want, I think the one you're referring to, I would think it was in the, it was, I was in the sixth grade and, um, that, that, that was actually the teacher who had told me that quote that, and that I had went in and spoke to his class and, um, him and I still keep in contact to this day. And, uh, and I mean, at that time it was just kind of, I would have, I, I ended up having, I would went into the hospital because I was just, uh, puking um, uncontrollably and like I had to stay in one spot I had to stay still but if I had to get up and walk even a little bit of a distance I would immediately feel sick and I couldn't take full strides like I would just slide I would just slide my feet the smallest amount at a time so that I wouldn't feel sick and uh, they took me into the hospital and sure enough my shunts went bad and they had initially just said, yeah, it's just going to be an overnight thing. You'll be, you'll be out tomorrow. And then the overnight, I remember it turned into 28 days in the hospital and I had seven surgeries and those took 28 days, all trying to create, um, fix, fix the, fix the issue because there was a, um, there was an abscess of like pus on, on my shunt tubing that yeah. was, that was in, in my brain. And so that was just giving me an infection and just, I felt I got horribly sick from it. And, um, at that stay, I, I, I remember, I still remember my best friend at the time bringing me hit him and his, him and his mom brought me in, uh, cause I loved toy cars. They surprised me and came in and they gave me a toy car. And, uh, so I was playing with that. And then, I would read books. I used to love reading books when I was a kid. And then, uh, and it was, I mean, it was, it was, um, it's a crazy thing to think about. Cause I mean, at the time they would, they would start wheeling me and I just say, Oh, where are we going? And it was to the point like, Oh, you have another surgery today. And it was, it was just, and I asked my parents when I was older, I said, why didn't you ever tell me? And they said, well, we knew that you're a worrier and I am. And they said, we knew that you would just worry about it. And there was no point in that because it was going to happen regardless. So put you at least in, in a good mindset. And they were 100% true, mm-hmm. percent right about that, because then I'm only freaking out for the pushing me down, down the hallway. And at that point, I'm just like, well, there's nothing I can really do about it now. Right. And, and I mean, what they're, what they're doing, they're doing it because it's going to help me it's not, it's not to uh, hinder me in any sort of way. So. And isn't that so much of the the way that we often deal with life where sometimes the things we worry about are actually things that sometimes are for our benefit, you know, things that are actually good for us. And that sometimes we get so stressed out and we're like, Oh no, I don't want this to happen. Oh, this is crazy. And then when we actually go through it, we're like, you know what? I'm actually glad that happened. Like that was, that was productive, you know, and, and, you would think after enough experiences like that in life, we, we'd stop, you know, worrying so much and we kind of start learning that lesson, but it just seems like that's just a pattern, you know, where, where you oftentimes dread the things that actually will help to make you better in life, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, and I've, and I've had that discussion multiple times with other people because, uh, I was definitely, I'm definitely a confident person. I know that I'm definitely still a, still a confident person, but when I was, when I was younger, it was, especially when I look at it now, it was borderline border bordering on the, on the side of cockiness. 
And, mm. but I was, I was just a very, very confident person. And so from that standpoint, I still tell my dad and I tell Lauren, my wife all the time. And I'm just like, I said, you know, I'm, I'm glad that everything has happened the way that it's happened. I said, mm. because it's made me who I am. It's how I've uh, gotten my relationship, found my relationship with Christ. And, and I'm, I said it jokingly, but at the same time, it's kind of true. I said, dad, mm -hmm. I'm kind of scared of how cocky of a person I would be if I had, if I was completely fine. Mm. I said, I said, I said a lot of, because a lot of times you can't, you can have some sort of idea of how you would, how would you, how you would react. And I said, I'm scared that I would have had the mindset that you couldn't tell me anything mm. type of deal. So in, in that way, it, it was, it's very humbling in that way. Mm -hmm. I guess that kind of leads into my next question was, you know, during that extended stay in the hospital, uh, you've talked before about how it really got you thinking about your relationship with God and how from the beginning he had looked out for you and had his hand on your life. Take us through your spiritual journey and kind of how you discovered your faith and suffering. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it was, it was in that hospital stay that I, that I'd said I'm I'm here for a reason because so many other people would have went through the same thing and or and they have went through the same thing and went through all these other surgeries that I've went through and they are either a not here to talk about it or b in a much worse state than I am and so said I'm here for a reason and I don't think it's all it's all by accident and I definitely grew up in a in a um in a faith-loving household with, with family and parents and brothers who, lo who love the Lord. And that def definitely helped in my walk. And, um, and I'm definitely at a stage now. And like I said, I've been saved since I was 13, 14 years old, but now, but it's, I still on a, on a frequent basis, I'm still growing and you could, you could relate to that. It doesn't matter how long you're, you've been Absolutely. saved or had a relationship with Christ. You can feel yourself growing still on a, on a daily basis. A lot of the times. And I find myself now, like there are certain things that didn't click with me until five years ago, less than five years ago, because for so long, mm -hmm. I always felt like, I always felt like was told once you accept Christ, you're saved. But I had always had the feeling I'm like, I don't deserve heaven. I don't, I don't, and I'm why, why, why me? Why would I go there? Because I mean, from my from my mindset, all you know is yourself. Mm -hmm. And we're always our we're always our own biggest critics. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to go to heaven. And so why why would I go there? And then it was, and you've heard it a hundred times, more than a hundred times. But there was one sermon at, at my church that we currently go to, and it's just, and it just, for some reason, it took that for it to click. You, we don't earn our way into heaven. Mm -hmm. It's if, if we did it simply off of merit, nobody would be there. Nobody would get there. It's all by, it's all by the grace of God. And, and um, for a long time, that's, it took me until then for it to finally click. Mm -hmm. And probably probably around the same time it's like i used to always think of uh think of prayer as like a set organized thing but a lot of times it's just just talk to them you don't it doesn't have to be eyes closed 
hands folded, dear Lord, amen. Thank you. It's driving to work. A lot of times Mm -hmm. I'll just, I'll just drive to work and I'll just talk. Mm -hmm. I'll just talk to him and thank him and pray, pray for, just pray for the day and hope that it goes well. And honestly, I would say I still do obviously pray before meals, pray before bed and whatnot, but it's, I, I would say I talk to him, literally just talk to him throughout the day more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I think in that way, my faith has definitely grown because it feels at this point now for the longest time, it felt like when I was close, I still believed 100% that God heard me, but it felt like I was just talking to myself. Mm-hmm. But when you look at it as like a relationship mm-hmm. and not so much as a religion, you're, you're actually feel like you're talking and there's somebody else who's listening to it. Mm-hmm. And so that, that, that definitely, uh, that definitely helped big time in my walk and where and, I'm at now. And probably helped you over time, accept the suffering and mm-hmm. depend on God more because of the fact that you had, I don't know about if I could say it this way, but kind of a reason to go through things, you know, you, you knew that God yeah. was walking through those things with you and, and, allowing those things to happen, you know, for a purpose. Most definitely just because I mean, God, God's not going to give us anything that we can't handle. And God knows what we knows what we've gone through. He knows what we can take. And when we have him, we can, we can go through anything, but he's just, it's just, um, I mean, it's a blessing. It's just life is, and even just to wake up every single day. That's something that I pray every single day. Just thanks for, thanks for waking me up this morning because mm-hmm. so many, so many other people didn't. And I mean, just taking, uh, just being thankful and just realizing that it's all a gift. And only, I would say only more recently that I've, I just had this discussion the other day with, with uh, a couple of friends and, um, and they both grew up in the, in the Catholic faith. Hmm. And one of them still, one, one of them still uh, believes, believes in the Lord. And the other one doesn't, the other one's a uh, atheist at this point. And, and um, but he's still open about the fact, like he still, he still uh, enjoys talking about it. And, and he's very, he's easy to talk to. And so we were just on that subject and um, we got on the subject of death. And he just said, and he had said, see me, I, I'm terrified of death. I'm, I'm just scared. And he's just, just said, I don't want to, I don't want it to happen. I know that it's, that it can happen anytime. But he said, he said, that terrifies me. And I said, me, honestly, I told him, I said, at this point, and this is another thing that's happened in the last couple of years. I said, I said, I'm totally at peace with it. I'm not well, saying come, that I want to die. You've come close enough times also that it's sort of yeah. like, you know, this is all right. bonus time at this point. <laughs> right. right. And, and it's what, and it's one of those things I just, at this point, I just, and he just said, what do you mean? I'm just like, if I die, I'm at peace with it. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, cause, because I know where I'm going. Mm-hmm. And so, and so that's just how I look at it, I guess. So you went on to graduate from high school, you attended college, began planning your future, 
you end up coming to Alaska in the summer of 2016 to put your communications experience to use and broadcast summer baseball for the Alaska Baseball League. But then everything went crazy. Tell us what happened. Yep. So, uh, so I was in Alaska and a couple days after I had landed, got, a, got started to get a relationship with some of the players and then started getting headaches. And I just said, no, no, this isn't good. I knew I had a bad feeling that I knew exactly what it was, but, but I, I told myself, I said, I, I've come all this way. I'm broadcasting at least one game before I like for sure start freaking out about all of this. And the one game I broadcasted, I had a constant headache the whole entire game. And, uh, and my parents listened to the whole thing and they said, you couldn't tell. You couldn't tell that you had that you had a headache or that, or that you were in pain. You did you did great. And then I remember uh, Chris had taken taken me to the hospital, and um, I remember my parents told me after I got back. They said um, they said yeah we called we called your host family and we said hey is is Philip there? And they said yeah he's taking a nap. Well it's in the middle of the day and. If you know me, I don't take naps. I wake up way too early. And even if I wanted to take a nap, I rarely can. And um, they just said, oh, he's he's just sleeping. He hasn't he hasn't woken up yet. And they said, oh, and my parents said, you have to go wake him up. And um, and my host family, I mean, it's not their fault because they just they didn't know that that's that that's what it was like. And he said, no you have to go wake him up. This is not, this is not like him. They said that they woke me up and asked me simple questions. I couldn't answer them. Or if I did, the answers didn't make sense. And so, and so then they ended up uh, taking me into the hospital in Alaska. And then, and only again, that a lot of that stay, what I tell people a lot, I said, I was there for a month. I can count on one hand how many days I remember of it. And it mm-hmm. was, wasn't until like the end of it that I really, that I really remember. So the, the first part that I actually, that I actually remember of being that in the hospital is hearing my dad's voice. I heard, I heard my dad's voice and, um, mm-hmm. and I remember asking him and I just started, I broke out in tears and started bawling. And mm-hmm. I said, uh, I said, you came, when are, when are you, uh, when are you leaving? Cause in my mindset, I'm like, oh, he's got a flight somewhere else some other time. And he said, I'm not leaving until you're leaving. And then I started crying again. And, and it was just, uh, just all the love I felt in that moment. And then, um, then again, it's all kind of, all kind of cloudy. I remember, I remember being asked by the, the doctor, cause after every surgery, they'd ask me simple questions. And if I couldn't answer it, probably didn't go right and the doctor asked me they said um where are you right now I I remember and I said I'm at the NFL draft scouting for the Lions (laughs) and and the thing is part of me part of me remembers giving that answer so you you weren't too far gone (laughs) yeah a part of me remembers giving that answer Mm. but the other part of me is like I remember, I remember that because in my mind, that's where I was. Mm. I was, I was at the draft. 
I, I was scouting for the Lions. So yeah, and it was just, it's just nuts. And so, and so then when that happened, they're like, well, clearly this one didn't work. And then, um, and then I remember it was after that second surgery and they said, well, it's still not really, not really that good. And at, from all my other surgeries in the past, especially recently, because before Alaska that January, I had one, I had, a, had another surgery as well. And so, and the surgeons had said, um, his brain tissue is so thin said they said it's it's there's not enough brain tissue there to keep on going in and doing what we've been doing and so they said there's there's a procedure that we can do that he won't have shunts anymore but he could there's always risk he could bleed out on the table he could go brain dead uh, and hundred other things, but he has to sign, he has to sign this paper because it's like a liability thing. And so being over 18 and that's another part that I remember one of the random spots, I remember signing that paper. And I remember at that moment realizing like what it meant. Mm-hmm. Like, it was like, no way I'm not going to have shunts anymore. And then, um, he said, but if, and he said, even if the surgery is successful and that he's a match for it, there's still a 50-50 chance his body will reject it. But if he's good for three days, he'll be good the rest of his life. And then those three days passed and I was good and been good ever since. Ever since. And it's a, it's a blessing beyond belief. And the thing that I want to interject in here is that unlike any other guest that I've had on this podcast, my story and yours actually intersect very closely because while you were in the hospital that summer, my dad had been admitted for one of his multiple health scares, which if some of you listening aren't familiar with my story, you're welcome to check out the episode captured by Grace to learn more. So just as you faced another unexpected surgery and hospitalization, so did my dad. And so we were actually in the ER literally hours before you went into the ER. And so we were all there at the same time with everything going on. And we just like walked out of the room in our hospital, in the hospital and saw your host parents there. And we're like, did you guys hear my dad was in here? Like, where are you? They're like, no, we're in here for Phil. And prior to your hospitalization, you and I, because the fact that I was around the team um, doing a lot of work, we'd struck up a connection. And so we'd sort of built a working relationship. And so I remember just thinking, oh my gosh, you know, what's wrong with Phil? And so, you know, as chance would have it, you know, both your room and my dad's room ended up side by side in an ICU. And so every time my mom and I would come in to see my dad, we'd always pop into your room to say hello to you and your dad, who obviously, as you mentioned, had flown up to see you and be with you. And so I clearly remember going through everything that was happening with you and with my dad at the same time. Um, And I just remember how remarkable it was that when they were going to go in and do your procedure, that I remember thinking, you know, you'd been to some of the top doctors and some of the top hospitals in the country, and you'd had great, you know, medical treatment up to that point. But here you were in Alaska and there was a doctor that was willing to take a chance on this procedure that nobody else had done before, you know, or, you know, and that 
or that we weren't were aware chance, of. Yeah, that here you were all the way in Alaska, thousands of miles away from home with a chance at perhaps having a procedure, if it went right, you know, be able to, uh, yeah. to change your life. And so I remember those three days, just all the prayers that were going up for, you know, people around the, the, the baseball community up there and the players and everybody and, and just waiting on those three days that you talked about to see if it would work. And when we passed that threshold and knew that you were sort of getting out of the woods, I mean, just absolutely tremendous, you know? And, uh, right. So our families, you know, became very close through that experience and we'll always share a unique connection because of what we went through together. Definitely. Definitely building off of building off of that but uh my mom had told me because my mom and lauren my wife they ended up coming to alaska after the um yeah after the first surgery because they had initially thought about coming up with my dad but my dad had said we don't know how serious it is so let's not worry about it yet and so we'll just uh we'll just wait it out excuse me and we'll just I'll, I'll call you guys and give you updates and see if it's, if you need to come up or not. And then I think it was after the first surgery, he said, yeah, this could be, this could be a while. So you guys might want to, might want to come up. And I remember before that, uh, my mom had told me that they had a, uh, they had a prayer night at the, at the house over the surgery and everything that was happening. And they, they said that they had quite a few people from our church and just from just friends and family um that all came over and just uh hmm. just prayed over the situation and and it was definitely all the support is definitely uh mind-blowing and I'm sure that there are people praying I know there are people praying all over the place there were people praying in in different states family mm-hmm. in different states and I know that they told their churches and their churches prayed over it and it was just all uh it was a god thing for sure and it was all it was it was definitely um it was definitely a blessing well and the surgery did end up being successful because now you've been shunt free and pretty much symptom free from what i know for the last uh almost seven years yep yep it's all been uh it's all worked out and it's all yeah, it's all it's all been great so far. So I've always felt that while community can and certainly should form anywhere along what we've been talking about here, there's a special type of bond that forms between suffering individuals that transcends average human connection. There's something about having been in the trenches together and survived that is completely different from any other relationships that you form in your life. Would you mind talking about this a little bit from your perspective and the importance of building community around vulnerability and pain and kind of mutual suffering? Yeah, it's def- it definitely it's definitely important because you need uh, a lot of people. So many people feel feel like they're alone in it, and we're not because there's so many people who suffer with things, and even if it's not the exact same thing that we went through, we we can, we can sympathize with each other because we know, we know that it's a, that it's a terrible thing and that whatever we went through has made us unique. And, and, um, a line, uh, some, another line that I've heard recently that was, um, 
it's kind of an interesting way to look at it. Uh, I forget what the story was, but I like I like reading and hearing stories about people overcoming adversity and things like that. And it was one of the stories. And he said somebody came up to me and said, um, "Man, I can't I can't even imagine what what it was like that you went through." And his reaction was, "Yeah, you can. Just what's the worst thing that's ever happened in your life?" And whatever it is, he said, no matter how minute or how big is the worst you've ever felt in your life, you probably felt pretty terrible. Just imagine that's that's pretty much how I felt. I was at I was at my lowest point, and I said, "Man, that's." I mean, it's it's a simplified way to put it, but it's definitely. Uh, it's definitely a way, a way to, a way to look at things. There's, it's, it's going to be hard to find somebody who knows exactly what you went through and nobody's going to know your exact experience except for you and you and whoever you were with or whoever was with you through it or, and even then they don't, they don't know how you felt about it. And so it just, uh, you almost have to get a certain comfort amount of comfortability with it and just being being comfortable with with your situation and just knowing that yeah you might be unique but there are people who want to help if that makes sense absolutely and along those same lines it can be awkward to build connection when your personal journey has been more difficult Um, some have hidden challenges others are more visible like yours how did you learn to form healthy relationships um, and break down some of that awkwardness, either with dating or just in general meeting people um, kind of within that context. Oh, just with like, with my certain situation and just kind of breaking the ice. Well, yeah. a lot of times I just, um, a, a lot of times I just like kind of getting it out of the way. Like, mm-hmm. I know you're thinking about it. And and there are people who don't think about it. And it's just, and it's just me because I, because I'm so aware of it and conscious of it. Right. I'm just like, yeah, you, you, you notice it. I know you notice it. Like there was a friend at, at Bowling Green before I came to Alaska and we were seniors and mind you, I had been friends with this kid probably since sophomore, freshman, sophomore year. And, um, and he said, all right, man see you later and he goes up with his right hand so with for me to go with my right hand and I go with my left saying no man the right hand I said forget you Jordan you know that I can't and I and I was chuckling I was laughing at it because I mean if if we're friends I don't mind if you if you joke about it because you get you have to make humor of it otherwise it's otherwise it's too depressing Mm -hmm. and um and so I said forget you Jordan you know that I can't do it with with that hand and uh, he said, why not? I said, Jordan, you know, you know that I'm handicapped. And he said, and he's 100% genuine. This, this kid doesn't, he doesn't have much of a uh, poker face. Hmm. And so he's like, he said, what, what do you mean? I said, dude, look, look at, look at like my hand difference and like, look at, I guess I never noticed it before. And he, and he's 100% honest. And I said, and I was so genuinely confused at the time, but I, and I remember my reaction. I had said, "I mean, thanks, but how did you not notice it? Because it's the first thing I noticed." And, 
and it's and it's just kind of one of those things you kind of mm-hmm. just um I always I always like kind of breaking the ice and if mm-hmm. and I never like um and it's not like I'm hi my name's Phil and I'm handicapped it's like that's not what I'm what I'm about but at the same time if people bring it up, I don't like it when they feel uncomfortable about it. So if they feel uncomfortable about asking me a question, I'm just like, you can ask me whatever you want because Mm -hmm. I went through it and Mm -hmm. you're being respectful about it. And it's, it is what it is. And it's actually funny because at, um, at my current job now, there's a, there's a guy that I met and he's in his thirties and we're both, and we're both, uh, we're both friends now at work and um he I I walked in and I saw him for the first time when he when he came on and I've never seen somebody that presented like me so much in my life because he had his his hand his hand hung like mine did and he walked with a limp and mm-hmm. they were both on the same side and um and I just asked him one day at lunch and I said I said hey man I said I'm not trying to and I, and I just always preface this. I said, I said, if I'm, if you don't want to talk about it, completely understand. I said, but if you don't mind me asking what, uh, what happened with your, with your hand and, and your leg. And he looked at me with a smile and he goes, he said, Phil, when he said, when I saw you, I was like, I think we have the exact same thing. And he said, I've never seen somebody that presented like me so much until mm-hmm. I met you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's funny because it was actually two different, two different things. He had actually, um, he had had a stroke before he was born. Mm. And so when he was born, it was just, it was the same thing. Like one side was just, uh, was just weaker than the other. And I'm just, just kind of mind blown at that, at that, uh, coincidence or whatever, whatever you want to call it, but it's, it's pretty cool. And both of us, um, we we'll, we'll both talk about certain things that that relate to us individually, specifically about certain situations and how we've re- reacted to it and how we mm-hmm. currently react to to it, and and uh, it's very funny just how similar we both looked at looked at the whole thing and and not to sound like a break broken record, like I said a couple minutes ago, but we both agreed the same way. Said you have to look at it you have to be able to look at it and laugh because if you don't, it's too depressing. Mm-hmm. While we're on the subject of relationships and, and human connection, I want us to talk just a little bit about your wife, Lauren. It takes a special person to walk into a relationship with somebody who either has a disability or perhaps a traumatic past and accept them with open arms and not be afraid of the challenges of that presents emotionally physically mm-hmm. uh, whatever talk about how you both have navigated the journey together yeah so with um so Lawrence was actually my she was my first girlfriend and there were um there were girls in the past that I had had uh, crushes on and there were some that I had learned that the reason why they didn't like me back was because of my hand and just they just didn't, whether they, they didn't want to be associated with it or just were just weirded out and so with that or just somebody saying oh I can't I'm going with I'm, I'm doing this instead and then find out they're doing the thing that I asked them to do with me but 
but it was just never with me. So for the longest time, I just always felt uh, just just like out of place. Like, I guess I guess I'm just not going to for the longest time. I said, you know what? I guess I'm just um, I'm just going to be alone because I'm I'm the type of guy that for the longest time. I always had a crush on somebody. And then when, when I was, when I was 19 and the, the girl that I had a crush on at the time, it didn't work out. And so I said, well, all right, I guess I'm just, I'm just not going to look. I'm just going to not, not going to look. And I just said, I guess uh, I'm just going to be single my whole life. That's totally fine. I'm cool with it. And then when I stopped looking, that's when I met Lauren. Hmm. And then and then uh, she was she was interested first before I was, and it's and it's definitely me that that played those past relationships that definitely uh, messed with my head because mm. I didn't want to get because in my head if once it happens with one person, oh they don't want to date me because of my hand, they're all like that, and mm-hmm. so that and I mean I know that that's just uh, the enemy playing the trick. And just always putting it in your head, but that's every time I I said I guess they're all like that. Then I guess um, I guess nobody's just going to be comfortable with me. And then for the longest time, it took me a long time to to open up to Lauren and be uh, and before like before we started dating. And when I told her why it like why it took me so long, and she said, "Why did you think that I would ever think things like that or or feel weird about that?" I just said, because in the past, that's all I've known of people being weird about that or just not, not being, being accepting of it. And I know that, um, with her, she never, she never felt that way. And it was definitely, uh, definitely a blessing. And I know that with, with her now she's in, she's an occupational therapist and I had, uh, my, my situation, she had seen my relationship that I had built with my therapist. And I know that that had played a role in her going into that field. And so that's definitely, um, that was definitely a cool thing. No, and I was definitely a huge blessing having, having her in my life for sure. And then it was just all a small world when I found out that um, Lauren's brother and my brother were best friends and they were actually roommates. I had, I had met and her brother's name's AJ. I had met him tons of times and and I always remember him talking about his annoying, or my bro- my brother talking about AJ's annoying little sister, Lauren. <laughs> and and uh, then when like when we had a conversation, the first thing I said to her, I said, "This is gonna sound really weird because we were in the same class. I always thought she was attractive, but I never wanted to make the first move or just. I was always if I liked a girl, want to talk to her because I'm just." a shy shy person when that when it came to that and um and we got put in the same final group project and when that happened I was like oh thank god because <laughs> now I'm forced to talk to her so this so this will work out well and we hung out once and then we just never stopped and it was funny because um the first thing I said to her I said this is going to sound really weird especially if it ends up being the thing she's like what I said is your brother AJ and she gave me the creepiest look or I said are you related to AJ she said he's my brother why and I, 
And I started laughing. I said, your brother and my brother are best friends and roommates. And she's like, this is your brother? I said, yep, that's my brother. And then just all made, made it easy from there on out. But yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely, definitely a crazy way it all happened. But something I'm extremely passionate about is helping people to notice the incredible contribution those have walked who have walked a more challenging path can bring in terms of perspective and wisdom and attitude. What are some ways that you feel people can learn to make space for those survivors in their midst and tap into their positive contribution? You just got to talk to them and just because so often, I mean, as, as simple as, as that sounds. And a lot of times we, uh, I don't know, we, we, we look at people who are different and then just, I don't, I don't know why it is, but a lot of times we'll just be like, oh, I guess I'm just, I'm just not gonna, not gonna strike up a conversation. I'm not going to bring this up or bring that up, but it's just the most, to me, the most, uh, I mean, the most genuine thing is just when they, they ask you genuine questions and just, Mm-hmm. they just genuinely care about you and not so much like what your what your quote-unquote issues are they'll just what do you like to do for fun what is what is this what is this what's what are your hobbies what's your do you what do you do what do you um, like and not talk to me like you would talk to anybody else don't talk to me and ask me different questions that you would ask somebody else who presents as 100 percent quote-unquote normal like just um I don't know no normal conversations I guess and I mean you you can bring up I mean you can bring up like I said I like talking about the things that had happened to me but don't be as 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 simple of a way as as it is to put this just don't make it weird just just don't bring it up and make it weird just be just be natural and ask me the question like you would ask anybody else. You're coming up on six years since you received that miracle surgery while visiting Alaska. And you're actually planning on returning to Alaska this summer for a vacation and to remember what take, took place for you personally here. In your view, what mm-hmm. is the importance of commemorating those miracles in a person's life and recalling the times when God showed up big? And how does that boost a person's faith for the future? I mean, with with me, I mean, uh, a bit a big reason why I want to go back to Alaska is just the fact um, it's almost like a met- metaphorical way, in just like you didn't break me, like as as in Alaska, just like mm. I'm gonna come back, and I'm stronger than ever, and this, this didn't take me out. I'm going to come back. I'm going to show up and I'm going to be a better version of myself and just show that it didn't, it wasn't too much for me. And it's not uh, I should say too much for God, but it's definitely just, um, I don't know. I think it's, there's so much power in just knowing the things that you were able to overcome. And so I always think that that's a, that's a huge thing to not run from the things that might've cause you pain, but to run back into it and just to show, yeah, I, I went through this. It was horrible, 
but I came out a stronger and better person because of it. And I learned so much because of it. Cause there's so many times we want to, we want to reflect and avoid as much pain as possible. But honestly, when we go through the pain and the struggles and the trials, that's where we're going to learn the most about ourselves. And that's where we're going to grow the most. We're not going to grow when we're just being catered, catered to and being uh, just everything's, everything goes perfectly smooth. It's in life. It's in relationships. You grow the most when you go through the hard times together. It's not, it's not all, all the easy times. It's the hard times when you find out who you are and, and, uh, and what you're about, I guess. This may seem like an obvious question, but do you feel as though the lessons that you've learned through your physical challenges have carried over into other parts of your life? And if so, how? In 100%. I mean, just, uh, I mean, first of all, just, just not over underestimating people because you don't know what, what people are capable of. And just because you don't think that somebody can do something just 100% is, is not the case because you're not in their shoes. You don't know how they face everything. And, um, so, I mean, just never, never underestimate anyone because of what your perceived thoughts of them are and just, uh, be humble be humble always and just know that you're no better than anyone. Nobody's better than you. You're just all, you just, just show everybody love and, um, and just everybody, everybody deserves, deserves to be respected and to be loved. And um, I don't know, that's, and again, that's another probably over, oversimplified way of putting it, but it's, it's definitely just, uh, just a way to, way to look at life period, whether it's Mm -hmm. people that you look at that you think, oh, they're, they've, they've went through more than I have. They haven't went through as much as I have or Mm -hmm. whatever it be, just look at people as people. Yeah. They're, they're, they're a person. So often we look at people and whether it be celebrities or, or any successful business owner or anything. And you just say, oh, I couldn't, I don't know what I'd say if I, if I was in front of that person or what about this? What about this? I'm like, they're a person. They're just like me and you. And they just, a lot of times people just, they want to be treated like a person because so often other people just when you interact with people and you put them on a pedestal, a lot of times it's uncomfortable for them. I always like to ask this of every guest that comes on the podcast. If you could sum up your story in one theme or message, could be a quote, a scripture verse, or just a general concept, what would it be? Um, Yeah. So my favorite quote is uh, the only disability the only disability in life is having a bad attitude. And so with me, I just try to always stay positive with everything in life, because if you're, if you're being negative, it's gonna, it's, it's gonna bring you down. You're already starting off on the wrong foot. If you're positive, 
I mean, it's just, it's just so much easier to get motivation and just to strive to be the best you that you can be and just to um, accomplish what you, what you set out to. And, and uh, I don't know if I said it earlier or if it got cut out from, from before, but whether, whether you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're correct. So you always just have to have to stay positive and and um, believe believe that you got it. And especially with uh, especially if you have Christ, and that's and that's my favorite scripture verse is is um yeah. For I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So that's definitely definitely my favorite my favorite verse because it's 100 true i mean god god gives us the power and everything that we have in life is is because of him and and everything that i've done and everything i can currently do and will do in the future it's all because of because of his grace and that he's allowed it so that's definitely uh those are some quotes and bible verse it's definitely uh definitely helped me in in my walk that's for sure if people want to get in touch with you directly or be able to follow your journey what's a good way for them to do that uh i mean there's there's a number of different ways i guess um probably probably the easiest would just be uh my instagram which is um which is at filet mignon (laughs) and it's it's uh p-h-i-l-a-y and then m-i-g-n-o-n and i think there there might be a dot in in between the two but that's probably um probably the best way to to get in to get in touch with me but um yeah so i'm usually posting on that fairly often and um yeah i mean outside of that um I'm not very uh, on, on all the different social media platforms. So your story is one of unexpected miracles. You've been able to trace the hand of God through the challenges in your life. And you're not afraid to tell others about that. If there's somebody listening today, who's going through a difficult situation and is having a hard time sensing God at work, or is just trying to hold out for their own miracle and losing hope, what words of encouragement could you share with them as we close out our time together today? To not give up. I mean, God's not done with you. And if, if you're still breathing, God's still working. He's still working on you. And I mean, you might, you might not be able to hear him and it might feel like no one's there, but he's there. He's there. He hears you. He's listening. And, um, a lot of a lot of times we just have to listen. We have to listen and we have to look and and a lot of times God's not going to talk to us the way that we want him to. So we have to be open for everything and not just expect, okay, God, I'm going to listen to you if you do this. We don't tell God what what to do. That's that's not how it works. And so you just got to stay patient. Got to look for. Um, just look for his hand on everything and just continue to talk to him, continue to pray and just look to him for guidance. Cause I mean, when it's, even when he, when it feels like he's not there, he's there. Thank you, Phil, for joining me on the podcast today. It's been a pleasure and I know you'll continue to inspire many more people with your story.
Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a blast. Gosh, I love hanging out with Phil. His journey always reminds me that while you can't always control the challenges life sends you, you can always control the perspective you bring to them and lean on faith to see you through. Thank you for being with us today and taking the time to listen to this episode. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. If you want to get in touch with me, please reach out via social media on Twitter, Instagram, Parlor, and MeWe, as well as on my weekly blog, www.graceopens.blogspot.com. I don't know what difficulties you may be faced with this week, but remember through it all that God is near and that He loves you. And as always, grace will meet you where you are. Until next time, take care.